Jonah chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and curl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. On the one hand, we know very little about Jonah. If it weren't for one verse back in 2 Kings, we would know nothing about Jonah except what's in this book. But from that one verse back in 2 Kings, we know that he was a prophet, And he was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Israel was divided into two kingdoms for a long time, the north and the south. The north was called Israel, the south was called Judah. And he was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II was on an expansionistic uh, program of extending the borders of Israel, and Jonah was a prophet during that time, which is the 8th century B.C., so the 700s before Christ. So on the one hand, that's all we know about Jonah. On the other hand, everybody seems to know about Jonah, don't we? If you would ask somebody on the street who has never been in church, if they know anything about the Old Testament, any character from the Old Testament, they'd probably say, well, I think something about David and and a a giant and um, maybe something about Daniel and some lions And they would probably also, if they knew anything at all about the Old Testament, would say, and Jonah, Jonah and a big fish. Now, why is it that we know Jonah 
more than we know, let's say, Ezekiel, the person on the street. If you'd ask the person on the street about Isaiah or Ezekiel, Hosea, probably come up with a blank, and perhaps many people who have been in the church for a long time would come up with a blank on those as well. But Jonah, why do we know so much about Jonah? Why is he so popular? Well, because his prophetic book is unique. There's nothing like it in all the prophetic books. And what's unique about it? It's not really a prophetic book. It's a story. There isn't any, really any preaching in it, not except, uh, except a, a line or two that what Jonah preached to the Ninevites, but it's really not a book that, that has a sermon for us. It doesn't have a series of messages for us. It's a story, and it's not even a story about, uh, about Israel. It's a story about Jonah. It's a story about the prophet himself. And all of us like a story, don't we? And that's why I think that Jonah has become the best well-known, most well-known of all the prophets, even though we know very little about him. Now, it's interesting also that in this story, there's not a moral of the story. You know how, how sometimes stories go along, and then at the end it says, and this is what you're supposed to learn from it. Well, this doesn't end that way. It doesn't tell us what we're supposed to learn from it. So we just have to read it and learn from it along the way. I think what we will see over these four weeks as we follow Jonah through his adventures and misadventures, we will see that it's really not even a story about Jonah. It's a story about the main actor. And the main actor in this story is not, in fact, Jonah. The main actor in this story is God himself. And we will learn about God and how he deals with people like Jonah and people like the Ninevites, whom we'll soon meet, and people like us. Now, before we get in the book of Jonah, I want to point out a few things. So as we go through it, you'll have these kind of sticky notes in your mind, and you'll say, oh, now I see that as we get to this. One thing is, it's one of the easiest uh, books of the, of the Old Testament to read because the vocabulary is very, very simple. He uses very few words, and he repeats words over and over and over. And that's like we write children's literature. We use simple words and we repeat them. He uses the word great. Look for that word. He uses it 14 times. He uses the word evil, or it could be translated trouble, he uses it nine times. He uses the verb to cry or to call out a number of times. Also, he uses the word arise or go up, and he also uses the word to go down or to descend. And you'll notice that there are two directions in this book. People are going up or people are going down. And you'll see that going up is good and going down isn't so good. Uh, You'll find that there's the expression from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. There's also, we'll see it, especially in this, in this first chapter, there's the verb, it's translated hurl or throw. And we'll find that four times this, uh, this word is used in this first chapter. And we'll see a series of throwings, a series of hurlings here. Also the verb to fear or to be afraid. And then we'll see one that points out who is the main actor And it's the verb, and we'll find it only once in this first chapter, it's the verb appointed, appointed. And there's also another technique that the the author uses here, and that's irony, because things seem to be backwards. We'll find out that, that things seem to be backwards in this sense. The one who should be behaving well is not behaving well. 
And those who shouldn't be behaving well are the ones who are behaving well. So there's this surprise uh, that comes through the entire book. Now, I'm just giving you that so that when we get to these things, you'll say, oh, right, I remember. This verb jumps out at me. This word jumps out at me. Oh, I see the movement. We're going up now. Oh, we're going down now. Or, hey, why is he acting that way and they're not acting that way? So keep, keep an eye out for these things. Let's go to the chapter 1. The First of all, God calls Jonah in verse 1, and he says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, what's the first thing he says to do? Arise. Okay, so we're going in which direction? Going up. So the first thing he says to do is, Jonah, get up. The first thing to do, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, the first of 14 times the word great is used, that great city, and call, there's the other common verb, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That before me, that before the presence of the Lord. So in these first verses we have... these common words that he's going to sprinkle throughout. And the call here is to go to Nineveh, which was a, if not the capital city, it was a principal city where the king had some residence, and to preach against it. Now this call that came to Jonah, this call was new. It was new. Because other prophets, they preached within the safe confines of Israel or Judah. They may have preached against the nations, but they didn't go to the nations. There are a couple exceptions where prophets went outside, but they weren't preaching against or to another people. They had particular messages. So first of all, this call was new. This was not something that prophets had been called upon to do in the past. And by the way, prophets are like preachers, proclaimers of the word. The second thing about this call was that it was surprising Going along with the newness of it, it was also surprising because if you read the Old Testament, there are hints sprinkled through the Old Testament, at first at the beginning, and then sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, about God having a concern for the other nations. But principally, the Old Testament focuses on the people of God, which those were the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this was a bit surprising. Why all of a sudden this this concern for the Ninevites? And this call was, and this is the probably the hardest part about it, this call was unpleasant. It was unpleasant to Jonah because of who the Ninevites were. Who were the Ninevites? Well, Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. Not the Syrian, but the Assyrian Empire, which was a brief superpower in those days. And it was the chief enemy of the people of God in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel, their chief enemy, they were the Assyrians. And they were brutal in their warfare and in their treatment of people. So these are the the arch enemies of Israel. And now all of a sudden, this prophet from Israel is being called to go to those people. Now the reason for the call was because, as it says here, their evil has come up before me. This this word for evil can be translated either evil or their trouble. And how we translate it makes a, a difference, doesn't it? Because their evil has come up before me, so go tell them how bad they are. Go preach against them. Or it could be that God is saying, their troubles have come up before me, and I want you to go on my behalf to speak to them, to help them out of their troubles. 
So it's not quite clear, because there's some ambiguity in this word, it's not quite clear whether he's saying, go after them, or whether he's saying, go help them. But however it might be, however it might be, he was showing interest in them. And this is what Jonah didn't like. Why would God be showing interest in that kind of people? And particularly, why would he send me, a nationalistic Israelite, to go talk to people like that? So we'll see what Jonah does. Jonah, verse 3. God told him to do what? To arise, to go up. And then the first words of chapter th- or verse 3 are, Jonah rose. Everything's going great, isn't it? God said, rise? And what did he do? He rose. Okay, good for Jonah. He's getting up to do what God called him to do. Arise, he arose. And then we keep reading, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And now we see, the next thing is, he did what? He went down. God had said, go up, get up. And he got up briefly in order to do what? To go down. So first he goes down to Joppa. And Joppa was a port on the Mediterranean coast. And then it says, he paid the fare. And then what did he do? He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. And by the way, there are different ideas about where Tarshish was. Uh, Some people say as far away as Spain. Uh, Other people say it just meant the high seas. Uh, Other people, other it just meant kind of a port. Uh, But it doesn't really matter where it was. It was far from where he was supposed to go. So he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down into the ship to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then if we look at verse 5, we find that if you look farther down, I'm not seeing a management credit as God. Okay. Uh, Oh, yes. At the end of verse 5 it says, but Jonah had done what? Gone down into the inner part of the ship. So he's supposed to go up. And what does he do? He goes down three times. And he gets lower and lower. Now, um, his stated purpose was to flee from the presence of the Lord. God had called upon him to do something so new, so surprising, and so unpleasant that he was willing to give up his country. He was willing to give up his career as a prophet. He was willing to give up his, apparently, family relations, his friends, whatever he had in life, because that call was so unpleasant to him. He wanted to get away from it and to flee from the presence of the Lord, his stated purpose. He even told the, the other sailors, the sailors, that's what he was doing. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. We can also think about when God calls us to do something new, when God calls us to do something surprising, something that wasn't in our game plan, and also when God calls us to do something unpleasant, particularly when it has to do with people we don't like. You see, when it comes down to it, that was Jonah's problem. He was, he was told to go to people he didn't like, and maybe it was worse than that. Maybe he hated them, because certainly the Assyrians hated the Israelites, and the Israelites reciprocated. He was called to go to those people. Maybe you can think about 
a person that's been very difficult in your life, or maybe a few persons that have made things very difficult in your life, and maybe they hate you. And maybe there's that temptation on your part to reciprocate. And if you were called upon by God to go in their direction instead of fleeing from them, how, what that would do for you. Or, or maybe, it's not, maybe it's not a person or a persons, but it's a people. Maybe it's a, a nationality. Or maybe it's a race. Or maybe it's a socioeconomic group. Or maybe it's a a certain kind of culture that just, whenever you come across it, it just rubs you the wrong way and you just rather not have dealing with with that sort of people. Think about it, what it might be in your case. And, And keep that in mind as we go through Jonah. Because we're going to see how God turns the screws on Jonah to help him to do what both Testaments talk about, and that is to love our enemies. Well, God's response to Jonah begins in verse 4. And this is the first hurling, the first throwing in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid. Afraid. The first use of the word to fear or to be afraid. Now think about that. These were likely experienced sailors. They were not far from shore, because we see later they tried to row back to shore. They were not far from shore, and they were afraid. So this was an amazing storm. And it had come out out of nowhere. So they were afraid. Each each one became very pious immediately, and cried out to his God. And then the second hurling, in verse 5, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to lighten it, And Jonah, where was he? He was down. He was three times down. He was down and out. He was was fast asleep. And then the captain said, came to him in verse 6, and he said, what do you mean, you sleeper? What's he telling him to do? Get up. Get up. up. Arise. And then the, the same verb that God had said, call. God had said, call out to the Ninevites. And he's saying, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So these were religious sailors. They were polytheists. They had many gods. And they were saying, Jonah doesn't seem to be one of us from another culture. He's got his own god. And so maybe that god, we're going to cover all our bases here. Maybe that god can help us. Jonah, we're calling out to our gods. You call out to your god. That's how, that's how polytheism works. So call out, call out. And maybe that god will help us. And then they tried to do something else. They said, let's try to figure out Something unusual has happened. And these were, these were religious-oriented people. And so they said, there, are, there is a God or gods involved in this, and, and, and He's not happy for some reason. He's against us. So let's try to figure out what has happened here. So they did what they knew to do, and they, they cast lots, like casting, casting uh, dice to try to see whose fault it was. And they cast it over and over, probably, and it, it fell upon... Jonah, and then they interrogate him in alarm, and they ask him five questions very quickly. Verse 8, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And then Jonah seems to have something of a realization here in his answer. In verse 9, he says to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. 
who made the sea and the dry land. Now, that may be an example of irony. He's confessing that God made the sea and the dry land. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Excuse me, but where do you go to do that? You're, you're trying to get away from the one who made the sea and the dry land and you're going on land and then on sea to do it. So it may be an example of irony here or it may be an example of Jonah realizing something. It may be growth in Jonah. It may be Jonah saying, okay, I treated God up to this point as a local God and I thought that, that getting outside of Israel, I could, I could get away from God being in my life and calling on me to do things that I don't want to do. And it may be here that he's saying, no, I confess, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And now I realize that what I have confessed all along is really true. He made the sea and he made the dry land and I can't get away from him. And then they ask, well, actually, before they ask, in verse 10, they're exceedingly afraid and the way the Hebrews say that is they were afraid with fear. And they said to him, what have you done? And then they said, what should we do to you? And then Jonah, it seems like, is realizing that he could not escape, realizing that he had sinned, and realizing that the wages of sin is death. And that he deserved the death penalty. And so he told them, this is the third hurling in verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. And they didn't want to do that. Even though he was, he was manfully facing his fate and saying, this is what I deserve. And if I must die, then it's not your fault and I deserve this. But they didn't want to do that. They tried to row back towards the land, not being far from it. But the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And then these very religious sailors, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the God of of this Hebrew prophet. And they said, don't let us perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It's interesting here that if we're trying to get the message of Jonah, sometimes we don't need to listen to Jonah. We need to listen to the other people who are speaking. And in this case, we listen to these men and they say, Oh Lord, you have done as it pleased you. And so they did pick up Jonah. And here's the fourth hurling. They hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. It's interesting that they had more regard for Jonah's life than Jonah had for their lives. Another irony of this book. And then when the sea grew calm, they were even more afraid. They were afraid of the storm. They were afraid when they knew Jonah was fleeing from the Lord. And now they're exceedingly afraid when they see that God was doing whatever He wanted and that He calmed the storm. And it says that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is probably means later on when they got back to shore, they likely turned around. They didn't have any more cargo to take anywhere. And it's likely they went back to Joppa because they didn't have any animals to sacrifice on the, on the ship. 
it's likely they got back to Joppa and as soon as they got to dry land, they said, we're going to honor this God of, of Jonah whom we had to sacrifice at sea. And for all they knew, Jonah had perished at sea and God had executed his prophet for his rebellion. This looks like a nice, neat, just ending to a story about sin and punishment. And if we were going to stop here, the moral of the story would be very clear, wouldn't it? The moral would be, if you rebel against God, then you will be punished by Him. And that is what you deserve. That's as far as the sailors got. However, the story does not end here. But there's this verse 17, which is actually in the, the Hebrew Bible. It's, you have to wait till chapter 2 to get to this. But I'm somewhat relieved that in our English division, it shows up here in chapter 1. And it says, And the Lord, and it's the first of the four times that we find this, And the Lord, who does what He wants, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Now, until next week, we're going to have to leave Jonah in the belly of the fish. And I hope you will come back to find out what happens to Jonah in the belly of the fish. However, for now, we should at least note this curious phrase at the end of this description of what God did. Jonah was in the belly of the fish, how long? Three days and three nights. And that shows up again in the New Testament in a significant way. The leaders, as we already read in our New Testament reading, were going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're doing all sorts of things here. We want you right now to perform a sign for us so that we can we can really believe or know who you are and from where you come. And So go ahead, show us a sign. Show us a sign. And he said, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, how long? Three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now, that's the similarity between Jonah and Jesus, buried for three days and three nights. But there's a difference, a big difference, isn't there? Do you remember the sailors when they were about to hurl him into the sea? They said, don't let us be guilty for innocent blood. But it wasn't innocent blood, was it? It was guilty blood. And if Jonah had perished there, he would have been receiving the wages that he knew that he deserved. So his going down was not because of innocent blood, but rather because of his own guilt. Whereas in Jesus' case, it was innocent blood. As even Judas Iscariot realized after he had betrayed him. And so the great difference in their going down, because Jesus also went down, didn't he? He came down to be one of us. He came down and took on the form of a servant. He came down to be in the likeness of men. He came down to die, and even to die 
on a cruel Roman cross, and then that wasn't the end of it. He went down even more. He went down into a borrowed tomb for those three days. And so Jesus came down, down, down. But the great difference is this. Jonah went down for his sin, whereas Jesus came down for ours. Let's pray. Our God, already we are learning from your dealings with Jonah. We're reminded that the wages of sin is death, which points us to the need for someone to come down for us and take our place and take that death penalty that we deserve. And we're also reminded that you love people, even rebellious prophets, and even people like that, like those Ninevites. And so we pray, O God, that as you come to us and call upon us to love our enemies, they may be individuals, people in our own families, people in our neighborhoods or work or schools, or perhaps people of a certain group that we find difficult. We pray, O God, that we would not try to flee from your presence, but would in fact remember the one who came all the way down for us so that we might be able to turn towards those people and towards you and not away. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.